Good morning. We'll go ahead and get started. And um, for the sake of the online recording, this is another lesson in the series we've been doing for a while on the Ten Commandments. And we've been looking at them, I would say, briefly, uh, but trying to divide the lessons where we give two lessons per commandment, one focusing on what does the commandment actually require of us, what is it encouraging us to, and the other lesson being devoted to what is the commandment forbidding us to do. And this lesson is the second for the fourth commandment, and last week we spent time really talking about what is this commandment requiring, but really we also talked about, I think, some of the common things we hear, maybe through articles or in conversations of people's attitude towards this commandment. And we looked at, is the commandment morally binding? And we saw that this commandment actually finds its uh, first example in creation before the ceremonial law or the judicial law were ever given. And when God made the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh. We also looked at the question very briefly on why we meet on Sunday instead of Saturday. And in summary, we basically said we see the apostles who had the authority begin to gather on the first day of the week instead of the uh, last day of the week. And so we maintain that same practice today. Uh, Lastly, and really most importantly, I think, when, when approaching the fourth commandment, is we talked about what does it encourage us to do. And again, to summarize, we basically said it encourages us to, to set the day apart, not do our occupations, uh, and, and have a holy rest unto the Lord. And we talked about what that looked like in Scripture, and really what it looked like was worship. Corporate worship, private worship, family worship. Uh, today, specifically, we're going to look at the things the commandment forbids. Um, I hope, if I've done a good enough job, we'll see some of these principles in Scripture. You won't think these are Grant's opinions. Um, But before we begin that, let's open with prayer. And we'll discuss some things before we go into these points that I said we'd be looking at um, last Sunday. So let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful on this day which we can gather with with one another. And our common uh, bond is the blood of Christ as our Savior and our Shepherd. Uh, We are thankful, Lord, that we've been provided facilities. Uh, We've provided means of travel to be able to come and have worship together. We ask now, Lord, especially today where we observe the Lord's Supper, that you would help us to examine ourselves, uh, that we might approach your table in a reverent manner. Uh, We might examine to see if there is anything in us, any unrepentant sin or, or animosity that we might have towards other brothers and sisters before we come to your table. We ask now, O Lord, that you would give us understanding as we look at some of your word with regard to um, your fourth command to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. All this in the name of Christ. Amen. We live in a society, um, by and large, we talked about this last time, it's not uncommon for an atheist to think that murder is wrong or to think that stealing something is wrong, just try to take his wallet. Um, But I think with the fourth commandment, we live in a society by and large that has really abandoned uh, the idea. Even in Christian circles, we talked about last time that maybe part of this command is going to church. Um, But we also said that, that even though going to church definitely is something we should be encouraging one another to do on Lord's Day. Is that what all that God intended when he said, remember the Sabbath day? It doesn't say remember the Sabbath hour. It says remember the Sabbath day. So largely in our society, I think this day has become grocery day or sports day or the sleep-in day or the yard work day. 
or Super Bowl Sunday. When all the while in this command, God asks us to set this day apart for the other six as a holy rest day. And here's the key phrase, unto him. And so today we're going to be talking about what I think is probably even more controversial than the lesson from last week. And that is specifically what we are forbidden to do. Uh, No one in this room probably has a particular liking towards being told what we can't do or what we should not do. In fact, we know our flesh, our natural tendency is to go against that. Um, But we should expect, I think with all the commandments, if we really do a just study of them, we should expect to find holes in our own theology and in our own actions um, when we reflect on God's Word and we reflect on what we believe and how we behave. So that's what I hope for today. And the other thing I want to make clear before we go into the shall nots of this command is this. Today my goal is really uh, to provoke you to reflect, to ask hard questions to yourself about maybe activities um, that are or are not permissible on the Lord's Day according to the command. Um, I'm not going to give you all the answers. I'm not going to provide a list today of here's exactly what you should do on the Lord's Day and exactly what you should stay away from. But I want to give good principles that I think Scripture has that our confession highlights and that we can have unity on as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, the Sabbath was meant to make God's people peculiar. All of a sudden, this people, these people, they just stop everything that they're doing on the Lord's Day and, and spend time worshiping Him. And so we should expect in our society, faithfulness to this commandment should make us peculiar. Not for the sake of being peculiar, but for the sake of trying to be faithful uh, to what God has asked us to do in a society that doesn't have very much reverence for that anymore. So there's one phrase that I wrote up here that I thought was helpful because we're going to talk about a lot of different things and there's a good chance uh, when I first started to study the fourth commandment, I was like, how do I even begin to try to do this? Um, But I think there's two principles that are helpful. We talked about this one last Sunday, and that's fill the day. And we're kind of out of order, because usually you want to empty before you fill something. Uh, But we talked about filling the day, and we talked about the Book of Church order. We talked about the Westminster Confession that talked about all the different things we should really be striving to do on the Lord's Day. Even the time during the time of corporate worship and in the times between before and after um, when we gather for corporate worship. So filling the day, and really to summarize that, it's finding ways to worship God. Finding days, if you remember the analogy, to take care of your spiritual pantry. Just like we take care of the physical pantry every week or every two weeks when we do our grocery shopping. But today specifically, I want you to ask the question, are there things that we can empty Sundays of to make room for the positive aspects of the command? Are there things that are forbidden that we need to consider emptying out of Sunday, putting them on one of the six days, so that we have more time on this day to devote and to encourage others to fill the day with resting unto the Lord. So we're going to get mixed and mangled in a couple of different things, but just we're going to come back to this at the end. How can you empty this day so that you can make it a rest day filled with rest unto the Lord? And there are going to be gray areas with each of these categories that we're going to discuss today, but I want to give you principles And hopefully it will cause self-reflection. Maybe you're going to disagree, and that's okay, but I want to encourage conversation about it. Maybe you can have conversation about it today on the Lord's Day. I think that would be permissible. Um, Or you can ask me about it, because I have a limited amount of time, so there may not be a whole lot of question and answer. But but you can reach out to me after the service, and I would be more than happy to discuss questions that arise from this. So we'll start off with the reading of the command 
in Exodus chapter 20. Specifically verse 8. Let's try to eliminate any preconceived notions of what's appropriate and unappropriate on the Lord's day. And let's just start with a command. Let's hear the literal words that God wanted his people to hear. And then we'll try to categorize some of the things that... And say, does, does this commandment have implications on my recreation? Does it have implications on causing other people to work? And does it have implications on my actual occupation? And an occupation doesn't necessarily mean you get money for it. It can also include the work that, that many of you do at your home, right? The chores, the yard work, the, um, uh, the grocery shop, and all these other things we're going to look at. And, and hopefully we present it from Scripture to at least cause you to ask, should I or should I not be doing this? I think it's healthy to do that with all the things that we consider doing on the Lord's Day. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Essentially, Get all of your activities done in six days and set the seventh day aside unto me. Uh, we're going to break some of this down. If you want to go ahead and flip to hold a place in your Bible to Exodus chapter 35. While you're doing that, I'm going to read from the Westminster Larger Catechism. I'm going to read the question we had last time, number 117, and I'm going to also add 119 to hopefully at least set up where we're coming from. What is our foundation? Why did I form the outline this way? Question 117 is, how is the Sabbath or the Lord's Day to be sanctified? The Sabbath or the Lord's Day is to be sanctified by and holy resting all the day, not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful, and making it our delight to spend the whole time, except so much as to be taken up in works of necessity and mercy, in the public and private exercises of God's worship. And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts, and with such foresight, diligence, and moderation, to dispose and seasonably dispatch our worldly business, that we may be the more free and fit for the duties of that day. 119 specifically asks this question, what are the sins forbidden in the fourth commandment? The sins forbidden in the fourth commandment are all omissions of the duties required. So omitting anything that we read in 117, the Westminster Catechism takes the stance of that is sin. And it adds, all careless, negligent, and unprofitable performing of them, and being weary of them, all profaning the day by idleness, and doing that which is itself in itself sinful, and by all needless works, words, and thoughts about our worldly employments and recreations. Maybe some of the words there are causing questions to stir, and that's a good thing. It's a dangerous place to be in when you hear the Word of God from, that we read from Exodus, or you hear people expounding the Word of God, as the Westminster Larger Catechism does, and to be numb towards it. 
That's a scary place to be. Um, some people have questioned the seriousness of this commandment anymore, and I wanted us to read from Exodus 35 and not <coughs> dwell too long on it, um, of some of the punishments that were carried out on those that might be tempted or that did, in fact, neglect God's fourth commandment. Would someone volunteer to read Exodus 35, 1 through 3? Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations on the Sabbath day. So, just foundationally speaking, we've had the command read, and we've also understood how serious the people of God were to take it. People were put to death for neglecting the Sabbath. People were put to death when they were found guilty of working on the Sabbath. And we're going to talk about what that means later on, but I do that at the beginning. I say that at the beginning so you understand, hopefully, the gravity of this command. Many in here would probably be very passionate about punishing a murderer, punishing someone who harmed a child. Um, but how many of us would be equally passionate when it comes to how serious we take the fourth commandment? Um, it's the duty of ministers also, just like they would look after the flock for being murderous or stealing something or bearing false witness or worshiping images or worshiping another god. Equally, ministers need to be concerned about how their flock approaches the fourth commandment. And thankfully, we have the Westminster Confession and our Book of Church Order that encourage us to uphold it. Now, with regards to our occupations, that's the first thing I want us to look at. It's clear in the command, right? You get a sense from the first two verses that there is some concept that God has um, seen fit to give us an example himself in creation, but also for us to get all of our work done in six days so that on that seventh day, that one in seven formula that we spent time looking at, it clearly says, you shall not work. Gloria read in Exodus 35, get your work done in seven day, in six days so that on that seventh day you can keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. That lets us know we just don't sleep all day, right? This is a rest that is specifically geared towards communion with God. Historically, and in our catechism, there are three categories of work that are permissible on the Lord's Day. We get into some gray area here, but I at least wanted to give you the three categories which I think are clear. You heard me when I read Westminster 117 say, except works of necessity and mercy. And the third category is religious labor, right? Because we are supposed to be coming and gathering for worship, and we know that one of the things that's the culmination of Adam's work Monday through Thursday is what he does for us today. He gives us the ministry of the word. That is what he's been laboring towards all week. So religious labor, and we see this in Scripture, part of what goes on on the Lord's Day is worship, and that takes people to labor to make that happen for us. So we see an exemption there. We also see exemptions we're going to see in Scripture, particularly in Mark chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and flip there of this idea of occupations or acts of necessity and mercy. Can anyone think of a work of, or that you would consider necessity? 
or mercy. Put them both out there. Maybe you've got one on the tip of your tongue. I think so. I think so, yeah. So here's an example of necessity occupations that have always been identified as such. Policemen, military, firemen, paramedics. Um, We'll give some examples of that for us in here. There are works of necessity that you might have to do on the Lord's Day. Number one, everyone in here has to eat. Everyone in here has to go to the bathroom. Everyone in here has to, if you have kids, you have to change their diapers on the Lord's Day. They make a spill. They have an accident. If my little girl drops a glass on the kitchen floor and glass shrapnel goes everywhere all over the floor, I'm going to sweep it up and vacuum it up, and there's going to be a lot of labor involved so that they don't step on that glass and hurt their feet. Um, Another good example that actually happened, we were on our way to church. It was actually when we first started visiting, I think, or maybe we had joined, but right on 49, Whitney's tire blew out. So I had to get out. Instead of leaving my family there in the van, we were, you know, five, six miles out from the church. I jacked the van up, took the tire off, put the spare on, and when I came to church, I looked like I'd changed a spare tire on the side of 49 in the summertime. Um, But that was an example of necessity so that my family could get to church for worship. You did? There you go. If you drive past someone who is in legitimate need on the Lord's Day, don't neglect them. I picked up half of it, I didn't pick it up. There you go. As they say, if people always want help, they got to first help themselves. So you left the half for them to do, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So some acts of mercy. Some people already mentioned doctors and nurses. Now, is it an act of mercy or necessity for you to have your routine scheduled six-month dental cleaning on the Lord's Day? Probably not. But if my wife goes into labor today, I'm going to leave the class, we're going to get in the van, and we're going to go to a place of business, and hopefully there's going to be some medical professionals there, because I'm not doing it, who will deliver the baby or check on her health to make sure she's okay. Well, I guess we wouldn't want them to deliver the baby this early, but... Right. So some of you may have occupations that you could lump into necessity and mercy, and I think your conscience could be clear when it comes to you shall not work. Okay? Are there any questions from that? We're going to go further into that and maybe point out some errors that we have, but I want to first... Are there any questions about necessity, mercy, or religious labor? Or objections? Okay. Um, Dalma has a commentary on the Ten Commandments. His last name is Dalma. I can't recall his first name currently. Adam has asked us to kind of use it as a guide as we're uh, developing these lessons. But let's look at Mark chapter 2 for a primary proof text on where we get acts of mercy and acts of necessity on the Lord's Day. Let me read this from Dalma, as I think it gives a little bit of background to what the Pharisees and the Sadducees had begun to do um, with the fourth commandment, adding regulation after regulation after regulation and the correction that Jesus brings to that. We looked at this a little bit last time. But Dalma provided an interesting historical document that doesn't date back to the time Jesus walked on earth, but I think provides some background to what the Pharisees had already begun to do. Dalma says this, There is one other more refined way of distorting the Sabbath. This distortion clothes itself in the garments of piety. In the Mishnah, which contains the oral traditions and precepts of the ancients since the Babylonian captivity, 
we come across no fewer than 39 kinds of forbidden work. So this is an extra-biblical document of written traditions. The Mishnah dates from the first half of the second century after Christ. But on the basis of what we know from the Gospels, we can confidently assume that Jesus and his disciples lived in a Sabbath atmosphere much like the one described for us in the Mishnah. With great precision, the writers disentangle questions relating to sowing, plowing, harvesting, threshing, weaving, and spinning, not to mention weaving two threads, sewing two stitches, writing two letters of the alphabet, extinguishing a fire and igniting a fire, carrying an object from one place to another, and still more forms of work. Working on the Sabbath was forbidden, but listen to this, but one who wove only one strand or sewed only one stitch and wrote but one alphabet letter was not yet working. In Jewish literature, you can find permission to kill a louse, which is like a lice insect, but not a flea, since a flea was a kind of predator. The point is, that as we looked at last Sunday, the Sabbath was not instituted to come up with a thousand regulations of do's and don'ts. The Sabbath was instituted to be a blessing for us. In similar ways to prayer, and reading the word and coming and hearing the gospel preached and the, all the ordinary means of grace, the Sabbath is one of them in which God has said, this is best for you. And so think of that atmosphere, how tedious that, that tradition had been. And let's look at how Jesus is treated with these two examples in John chapter 2. We're not going to read them verse for verse, but I wanted to at least point out the sections so you would have a proof section of scripture of where we get this idea of necessity and mercy. The first one is an example where Jesus gives us uh, necessity as being a valid reason to conduct that type of work on the Sabbath. What happens, they walk by grain, the disciples pluck the grain, the Pharisees see that, that they're eating it, and Jesus gives them an example and says, have you not read about David when he went and ate the bread that was only supposed to be eaten by the priest? And not only did David eat the bread, but he also gave it to those men who were with him. And Jesus says that was not lawful. But he says this, The Sabbath was made for man, as we read last time, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So things that might seemingly be violations of the Sabbath are permissible if we can see that if they are under the category of necessity or mercy. And that's the same language of our confession. So that's the reason I'm using those two categories. The example of mercy being permissible comes... So this example is, sorry, Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. That's the example of acts of necessity being permitted on the Sabbath. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, is the example of Jesus healing a man who had a withered hand and also being called out by the Pharisees. And Jesus giving an answer, and then, of course, they were silent, and they got angry, and they plotted to do harm to Christ. So, in Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3, we have two proof texts, two events, where Jesus himself shows us that acts of necessity and mercy are permissible on the Lord's Day. What are some other things? Visiting someone who is sick and homebound, right? Um, If a person who is homebound can't come to a Lord's Day service, there's there's a variety of things that they can do to try to still hear a service. Thankfully, we have technology where um, services are broadcasted on the television, services are broadcasted on the Internet, and they can go go to those sources and still experience a service. Not in the exact same way, but still receive nourishment and edification. Uh, 
So, what's the problem? The problem is a lot of times, if you look at what we're carried, caring about on the Lord's Day, we supplement those two words, necessity and mercy, for things such as ease and profit, or economic gain, right? There are plenty of businesses that are, that are not necessary or merciful that are simply operating on Sunday because it's uh, economically beneficial to them because it adds profit to their product or to their services, because they can carry it out cheaper on this day when there are businesses that actually choose to close down, even though it would mean much profit for them if they remained open. So we need to consider our occupations. I don't want to dwell here too much longer because I want to hit the other two categories. Uh, The second one. So it says you shall not work, but it also includes another category of people. It says sons, daughters, male and female servants, cattle, and strangers. So it's all those who are within a person's authority, right? So for a family, that's your children. That's those who you might ask to work for you or serve you on the Lord's Day. Uh, for the governing authorities, that's everyone who's under, under them, all these businesses that aren't necessary or merciful that remain open on the Lord's Day. So it's not only doing work yourselves, but it's causing others to do work. If you go back to the commandment in Exodus chapter 20, it's clear. It says, you don't work, and all these who might normally serve you on the other six days, don't make them work. Don't cause them to work. So let's think about the implications of that, and really what this touches on is the idea of commerce on the Lord's Day. But keep those two categories in mind, because just like there's acts of necessity and mercy under this one, that can still come into play here. So let's flip to Nehemiah chapter 13. Uh, Nehemiah is after Ezra. It's actually before the Psalms and Proverbs and all that. You're getting close if you're in Chronicles. Keep flipping towards the New Testament. Nehemiah chapter 13. And for the sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and read. So if you're not there, if you want to just listen, that's fine. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 through 22. Listen to what the prophet is condemning the people for, specifically. In those days I saw people in Judah treading the wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods, and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. So there were these merchants who were selling, and there were the people of God buying. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah, and I said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. For that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. 
And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. It should not be a foreign concept when we read the command, when we hear of examples of people profaning the day and buying and selling, that this commandment touches on this. Are there areas in our lives where we are unnecessarily and unmercifully causing others to work? Now, there might be a... Now, what does this involve? What are some things that could be involved here? Is it... And just ask these questions. You don't have to answer, but I think the implications are obvious. What, what about when we ask people to serve us at restaurants to feed us? What about when the lawn man, it happens in my neighborhood, has a contract with you and he comes by and does all his business in your yard and he works for you on the Lord's Day? You can probably think of a ton of other examples. Or uh, the grocery store, when you have people give you groceries or check you out. Now, you may raise the question, Grant, I'm not in authority over those people. That's their bosses that are keeping them open. But if we're honest with how business works, there is no successful business that remains open on a day when their profits are not exceeding their operational expenses, right? So when we engage in commerce, think back to Nehemiah, we are encouraging other people not to have this on the Lord's Day, not to be filling their day with worship. So consider that this commandment not only has implications on what occupations we involve ourselves in, but it also has implications on are we doing things that cause other people to work. Something to think about. Are there ways that we are, here's a hard question, are there ways we're actually discouraging people from remembering the Sabbath day and resting unto the Lord? These are hard questions. These weren't natural for me. I, I wasn't raised, I was raised in a, a traditional Southern Baptist church that didn't, give me a lot of guidance on the fourth commandment or whether it was even binding. Um, but So I know that these are hard questions. And the third category is not even easier. Recreations. On the Lord's Day, anything come to mind in particular? Reservoir. Okay. We'll talk about that. Say that again, Lynn. Soccer games. <laughs> Baseball. What about the almighty NFL? Uh, I'm not an NFL fan, not for any particular reason. I've just never been. But I wonder if often we think about when the NFL, NFL draft comes around, that when these kids get signed and there's joy and there's gladness that they're going to be taken care of very well for the rest of their lives, that they're going to spend a large chunk of their lives, assuming they don't get injured and they're successful, working on the Lord's Day. Working on the Lord's Day. We've talked about the moral law as binding on everyone, whether they profess Christ or not. This is the law that God has set out from creation. In soccer, and I only speak to that because I have experience being raised in that uh, environment, the more successful you are, the more likely you are to play on Sunday. I don't know how it is in baseball or, or uh, football. In soccer, you actually don't normally play on Sunday unless you win. <laughs> So it's counterintuitive. It's actually, it does encourage at times that type of system. It encourages coming away from that. But, but before we just blast all recreations, I want to just ask that question. But let's see a concept in Scripture, and let's see if there's maybe some self-reflective questions we can ask about our recreations because uh, several references actually give some, some permissible recreations, and that's interesting, but it still ties back into filling the day. We're going to look at that. First, if you will, let's look at the proof text that the Westminster Confession uses and most people will use when they speak about should we do recreations on the Lord's Day. 
Uh, the main one is from Isaiah chapter 58. And I promise once we lay out all these things that it seems Scripture might be condemning, we're going to have some breathing room and just discuss some practical applications of some of these things. Because if you've never spent much time thinking about where the fourth commandment applies to my life, and all of a sudden you hear someone up here saying, well, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, it can be very overwhelming. And I'm not oblivious to that. So let's get through this last point, and then we'll have some practical application and some considerations if you've never thought about um, the fourth commandment touching any of these areas, and maybe you've just felt that it, it means make sure you're at church for the morning service and the evening service. Isaiah 58, verse 13 through 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath of delight the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. To be clear, before we get into this, and I'm going to read something that might be even more provoking from A. Brockle, who's a Dutch dead reformer. God is not against all pleasure. God is not against playing soccer. Um, I mean, in general, all those things we know we can twist and turn into idols, of course. Playing a soccer game or playing a football game or a baseball game. He's not against going horse riding or flying kites or going um, fill in the blank with all the recreations that we can find joy in. Going outside, disc golf, regular golf. Um, but what he is commanding of us in the fourth commandment is to primarily get those things done in the six days he's given. And on the seventh day, it's not abandon all pleasure. It is make the seventh day about what our chief pleasure should be as Christians, right? Worshiping him, spending time with him, being nourished and fed by the ordinary means of grace. So God is not saying don't be uh, concerned with pleasure on the Lord's day. He's saying give special attention to your chief pleasure. And that is to be him. One of the things both Dalma, who is a more contemporary guy, and A. Brock will agree on is that there is a category where recreations can, in fact, be beneficial on the Lord's Day. But, but before I explain that, I want you to hear what Dalma has to say. And then we'll spend some time hopefully talking about some of the practical implications of this. And again, going back to the beginning, I hope this is really just stirring up questions and thoughts and and maybe making you and me wrestle with the text a little bit more, wrestle with really what our confession says. A. Brockle says this when he's listing points on things that we should avoid on the Sabbath day. Don't shoot the messenger. Fourthly, we sin when we make this day into a day of worldly pleasure. The Sabbath is a delight, however, a delighting in the Lord. It is a dreadful desecration of this day. However, when we abuse it by delighting ourselves in worldly things and in the lust of the flesh. This pertains to sailing, horse riding, fishing, bird hunting, playing tennis, playing ball, or to the entertaining of oneself with such things that are lawful at the appropriate time and place in the appropriate company and with the appropriate objective. 
However, strolling in the fields or in gardens, be it alone or with others, does not belong to the forbidden sins. If we do so for the purpose of observing the works of God, to glorify Him thereby, and to be refreshed according to soul and body. What is he saying there at the end? He's saying, basically, sometimes there are things that you can do that would would likely, from someone on the outside looking in, look like recreation. Maybe you take the kids outside and you walk around the neighborhood. Maybe I let my rugrats in the backyard and run crazy for a few minutes so they burn off steam so that when we come to the evening service, they're not gremlins. Um, But what is the point here? The point is not that all those lawful, morally neutral recreations, there's nothing wrong with them. But particularly on the Lord's Day, and the verse we looked at as a proof text from Isaiah, the Lord's Day is supposed to be taking up, ideally, with our chief pleasure. Now that we've said all that, there's not one Christian family who, who is convinced and convicted of the way the Westminster Standards um, lays out the requirements and the sins forbidden on the Fourth Commandment that has a uniform Sunday. This is not about uniformity. This is about us each as families asking this question. Are there things based off some of the principles we see in the Fourth Commandment that I need to empty this day of? And are there things that I need to, should be filling this day with? How in the world, Grant, do we begin to do this? I feel like everything you've said, I've, I've probably done it for the past 30 years on the Lord's Day in some shape or fashion. There's not been, many Lord's, there's not been any Lord's Day that I've kept perfectly is what I would first say. Okay, you should see a high standard when we lay out the requirements of the law. That's part of why we look at the law. We look at the law to see how we can express our love to God in, in obeying His commands. But we also look at the law to see that we don't meet the standard. And we also look at the law to see what standard Christ kept perfectly every second of every hour of every day that he lived on this earth. So what is helpful advice? For me, we need to be reminded that trying to be obedient to this command does take discipline. Um, Let's use going to the gym or exercising. It stinks when you first start doing it and you hadn't done it in 20 or 30 years. You feel it. You feel it bad. But when you've gotten into the routine, when you've done it consistently, when you've learned from your failures and your mistakes and different events, you'll get better at it. It will start to feel normal as you try to, to keep the Lord's day, the full day. And the other thing is this, is preparation. And this is where the fourth commandment actually has implications on the six days, right? It says, get all your work done in six days so that you can be prepared to keep the seventh day. So that might mean that me, Grant Jones, better make sure I try to get my grass cut or my groceries gotten or at least there's something in the house to eat on Sunday to help my family better keep this day. It's about getting your stuff done in the six days because it shows a reverence for what God has said in Exodus chapter 20 verse 8. Remember this day and keep it holy. Get your work done in six days and also all those who you might normally ask to serve you Don't ask them to serve you on this day out of reverence for what God has commanded. This is easier said than done, and it's even harder to implement if you've never tried to implement this before, if you've never thought about the fourth commandment in this way. So, in closing, I want to give us four reminders in case your head's swimming. Um, Number one, 
if you find yourself in a position where you, you, maybe you are convinced of what the Westminster Larger Catechism says and the Scripture proof text that we went over today, and maybe you are convinced that you need to do some self-reflection in these areas, I'm not going to tell you yes, no, maybe so. There's gray areas, like I said at the beginning. And that's good, fruitful discussion for you to work out with yourselves and work out with those that you do life with. Um, but I will say this. Consider taking small steps to empty the day. And the reason we started with filling the day first, because if you will just set out to fill the day with those things we talked about last Sunday, you'll find that you don't have any of this to do. Because <laughs> your day is already filled. But where most people have to start, including myself, was think about the activities that end up bleeding over into Sunday that really don't have a lot to do with worship. And then to think about maybe some tiny little steps that I could help my wife or maybe she could help me to where we didn't have to have those things bleed over onto the Lord's Day. Think about your occupation. Are there opportunities you have to work on Sunday and you take it for financial gain? And it's, that's the temptation for all of us. And you take it, and it's not of necessity. You've got food on the table. You've got a roof over your head. You've got clothes on your back. And it's not out of mercy. Is there some meditation you need to do on this? Maybe there's something you change or not change. I don't know, but it's definitely worthy of our consideration. So think of ways you can empty the day and take small steps of preparation. That's key to this command. And number two is, is fill the day. So many times when we look at the shall nots of the fourth commandment, it can start to feel like a yoke, a burden that we can't bear, that we can't possibly do, that, man, I've been setting my ways for 20, 30 years, and this is just how we do Sunday. But that starts off with the wrong view of this commandment. And encourage yourself in those moments with Mark chapter 2 in that God made this day to be a blessing for His people. And emptying the day allows us to experience the blessing that God has intended. Even though our flesh doesn't want to see it all the times. God has said to set this day aside and He has made it for us as a blessing. And number three is an important one. And I'm running a little bit over, but bear with me. I just have to... One more point, really. It's empty the day, fill the day, and protect the day. What do I mean by protecting the day? When you start to take the fourth commandment and you start to say, hey, maybe there are some other areas of my life that need to bow the knee to the fourth commandment, you will be tempted and you will be um, challenged to go, back, to go back to our old ways. Why? Because the culture sees this as a normal day. The culture sees this as a day to shove um, big events concerts, birthday parties, um, grocery days, big events that actually can pull you away from worship. And you know what you'll be forced to do in a lot of situations to decide between an uncomfortable situation where you might say, no, I'd rather not do that today, or doing something that might take away from you filling the day with rest unto the Lord. So you have to protect this day. This culture does not protect this day. Even in Christian circles, the idea of keeping the Sabbath day, the full day, unto the Lord, is become, it seems to be becoming more and more foreign. And we, especially in the Presbyterian Church, need to uphold this commandment as boldly as the other nine. Uh, and the last point is just to see this day as a blessing and not as a burden. See the law of God as something that we can express our love to God, that God has given us as a helpful guide to us on how to make it through this life. Let's close with prayer. Dear Lord, we are thankful for today. We recognize, O oh God, in your command and your word that you've asked this day to be different. 
we only would ask, O Lord, that you would help us to reflect upon this command, each and every one of us, and consider maybe there are some areas that we need your help. We plead with you, Lord, to conform our lives into the image of Christ, who was perfectly obedient to your law. Help us now to turn our eyes towards him as we enter into corporate worship, as we commune at the table in which we remember what he has done, but also, Lord, in which we confess we are actually spiritually and nourished spiritually nourished and fed through the elements. We love you, O Lord. Bless our services this day and keep us mindful of you and help us to love the Lord's day. It's in Christ's name I ask these things. Amen.